Hello and welcome to episode 45 of the 40 Athletes Podcast. I'm your co-host Jason Hoser along with my good friend Jimmy Huber. Jimmy, good morning to you. Hey, Jace, I know you're excited. You can't help yourself right now. Uh, you had a you had a bear on earlier in our episodes and basketball wise. Now you're getting football. Yeah, you're pumped up on out for this one. Hey, I mean, I was I was stoked with Jackie Styles, and now we got uh, Coach Dave Steckel on. You know, every episode we try to pack with tips and strategies to transform your life, regardless of if you're an athlete or not. And you know, Coach Dave Steckel has actually written a book about leadership. He's called it the Fisherman. So not only has he been a college football coach. But he's he's an author as well, which is pretty pretty awesome. I, by the way, I could have used him this weekend. I was down at the Lake of the Ozarks with my son, and we were fishing off the dock, and had these big fish down there. And his test line wasn't strong enough, and I wasn't able to really tie a strong enough hook. And these fish kept breaking the line, busting the hook hmm. off. So if I had maybe the fisherman book and Coach Stuckle down there, I might have caught more fish too. Well, he might have a great analogy for you in your book as well. You know, he was also a finalist and runner-up for the Broyles Award, which is the top assistant football uh, coach in college football. So um, without further ado, he's also has a master's in education. So he's been a teacher as well. So he's had a lot of experience, not just in, in coaching. So we're going to bring him on today. Um, coach Steckle, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you men doing? We're doing well. How are you doing today? Man, I'll tell you, Jason, if I was any better, I'd probably be a twin. <laughs> well, you know, don't try to clone yourself, though. That might uh, might take a while for you to get uh, caught up. But, uh, uh, Dave, first of all, you know, I want you to – I want to get into this. What is your why in wanting to coach football for so long? What What was the thing that drove you uh, to coaching? Well, that's a, a multi-layered question, Jason. And the reason why is because when, when you're young – you know, the old cliche, you're young and dumb, okay? And I got into the coaching because I really didn't know a whole lot of other things, meaning I went to the Marine Corps right out of high school. And after the Marine Corps, I went to college and played sports. Obviously, I played sports my whole life. And I didn't really know anything else. And my brother was a, a pro football coach at the time. You know, my brother Les spent 24 years in the NFL. And uh, I thought about going in and be a grad, graduate assistant and stay in coaching. And I did it because I really didn't know anything else. And then as I was going through it, I really enjoyed it because I don't know if you ever watched those uh, Peyton's Places, you know, with Peyton Manning and stuff. And right before every episode, it, it, before it starts, it says, I'm Peyton Manning and I love football. Well, I realized I love football and I wanted to be a part of that. However, as you grow, then what takes over your life is your ego, okay? And you want to move up the coaching ranks either for ego or for money or for both. And then you hit the last layer of it where you say, okay, do I want to be successful or do I want to be significant? And probably the last 15, 20 years of my coaching career, I want to be significant and make a difference in young men's lives. You know, Coach, you started in 1982 coaching, and you've written a book on leadership, and you're talking about being like, (laughs) Thank you for aging me. Go ahead. Well, I mean, but been in the game for a while. And so yes, when you talk about like leadership and writing a book on, I'm sure you've seen leadership in 82 and leadership in 2021. So my question for you is how do you define leadership and how has leadership maybe evolved for you over those years of coaching? Well, I think leadership, how it evolved back in the eighties, it was almost a uh, uh, do as I say, not as I do type of scenario. Um, and kids didn't, understand and jason just presented you know what was my why i got into coaching and kids didn't understand the why and then as you got moving on to coaching it was more prevalent especially in around 2005 2004 in that area where kids really want to know why am i doing this what is the why and your leadership had to show them why this is good for them because i personally think all kids even to this day all kids love and thrive discipline. The difference is they don't want to admit it, but they do want discipline. They want to blame that on somebody else. Say, I have to do this because mom, dad said it, hey, coach said it, but they really want to do that. And I think that kind of changed and moved over the parameter. The thing I'm starting to see now when the 2020s hit, there's been a pendulum swing, I think, with kids nowadays. It went from obligations and responsibilities to rights and privileges. 
So the game's changing, and I think with that, leadership has to change. And <clears throat> if I could go back and talk to my younger self, I would say, you know what? <clears throat> what I did the last five, six, seven, eight, nine years was I tried to serve my players, tried to help my players, tried to mold my players. And if I could talk to my younger self, I would say, why don't you start off like that? And uh, so I think leadership is different facets, but the number one key to leadership is always be yourself. You know, coach, we have a lot of young, you know, coaches from all different kinds of sports. What are some ways that you would start off by serving your players first? Like if you, like you said, if you go back and do some things differently, what are some ways coaches can serve their players? Players, and it's an old cliche. I'm sure you guys have used it. I'm sure all these coaches, young coaches, all these coaches use it. But co players do not care how much you know. They want to know how much you care. And how you serve them is by showing that you care for them. For them. That doesn't make it easy. That means you share, you show them that you care for them, that what you're doing for them is the best interest of them. And I think by serve, what I, what I mean by serving is by teaching them life, teaching them the why we're doing this, teaching them why this is going to make you better. Okay. Uh, for example, my brother used to always tell me, I used to say, it's got to be hard coaching the NFL. They said, no, NFL players are dying to be taught because they want to know how you can help them make more money. Okay. They want to make more money. They go to the Pro Bowl. They get another contract. So they're all leaders. They, they want to devour knowledge to be a great pro football player. And I wish young kids had that same desire. But as a coach, you must serve them to teach them those things, to bring out the best with them, not only on the football field, but what's really critical, and coaches miss on this, Jason, what's critical off the football field. So, Coach, let me ask this. You talked about earlier players want discipline. They they hunger for discipline, and I, and I agree with that. My question for you is, as you said, when you started coaching earlier, it was like almost sometimes coaches demean players, more that fear tactic to get them to, to do the things they need to do. What are ways you think, Coach, is the best ways to incorporate discipline reinforce it in a way that's more demanding and edifies them to get them to do the things they need to do. Yeah. You should, you should never demean a player. There, there's no room for that. And if I implied that I didn't mean to, cause I don't think I ever have demeaned a player. Um, I think I've been very demanding when I was a young coach and I was starting out I'll tell you a war story. I was a, I was a GA at uh, Minnesota. Okay. And uh, we had a recruiting weekend, and I, and I was blessed. You know, the good Lord blessed my career. Unbelievable. And I was blessed to coach at Minnesota with uh, Lou Holtz, a Hall of Fame coach. And uh, we had a recruiting trip. And if, if you know the basketball course, you know, you take the recruits to basketball games. And the stage in a ba at, at Minnesota's basketball arena was elevated. So the first row was the bench. And, and I, we were right in the second row, right behind the players and the coaches. And when there was a TV timeout or any kind of timeout, the players had to come down these little steps and sit right in front of us. And the coach actually sat on top of the, the uh, stage and, and talked to him. And I kept staring at this coach, trying to study this coach. And, and this is 1985, okay? And then to give you the footnote, it was Season on a Brink. And the same book came out, and it was Bobby Knight. And my wife, Mary Beth, I love her, she looked at me and said, stop staring at him. I said, I'm, I'm learning. I'm trying to learn. Okay. And at times he did demean players. Okay. I want to put that out right out front. Okay. But after it was, I was so enthralled as a young coach, I wrote him a letter and said, what advice can you give a young coach like myself? So I'm answering your question, Jim, a long back way with a story. And he said something that has stuck with me the rest of my life. Be fair be consistent and be demanding. And that's what I mean by caring for a player. You want to be fair to the player because situations all are different. You want to be consistent with your thoughts and your actions, but you want to be demanding. Demanding is attention to detail. Do the things you're supposed to do, do them the best you can do it and do them on time. That to me is coaching. That to me is being successful.
when you, you when you mentioned Lou Holtz, I know Jason got pumped up. I guess I had a Notre Dame fight in Irish back in the day. Yeah, I but saw what, the big grin. <laughs> yeah, co- coaching with Lou Holtz, like what was the things that you learned from Lou Holtz? Like you talk about, like you stared at people and you you learned from them. What did you learn from Lou Holtz? Lou Holtz, okay, was without a question the greatest motivator I've ever been around. And how he could find buttons to push not only for a team, but as an individual player. And you know the thing that I was enthralled with him, and you guys all played sports and all the coaches do it. I'm trying to figure out why all the coaches do it. But when practice is over, the coach calls everybody up, okay? And the coach has to say something, all right? I don't know if he really got a message or he's just babbling, okay? Just wants to hear himself talk, including myself. Now, I'm not throwing darts here. I'd call him and go, what am I going to say to these guys? I'd say, all right, go to class. Get out of here. I mean, like, but Lou Holtz always said something to the players, was always different, always had a meaning, always had a purpose, and it was always motivational in nature. And I really grabbed by that from him that you can touch certain kids certain ways just through motivating them to be their best and to, you know, through analogies of life, through analogy of the game coming up, from a past game learned experience, but I really learned that from Lou Holtz. The other thing I learned from Lou Holtz is, um, well, I didn't really learn from him. He emphasized it was what I learned from the Marine Corps is attention to detail. You know, there's a way you put your shoes on in time right away or you, you don't succeed, you know? Um, so I look, that's what I really took away from coach Holtz. Not only he's a great football mind, by the way, too. And coach, you mentioned, you know, it's not only just caring for them whenever they're on the field, but caring for them when they're off the field. What are some ways you as a coach let your let your players know that you cared about them just as much as a person and not just as a player? So that way they like really bought into what you were doing because they felt like they mattered. Well, you know, it sounds corny, but the first simple thing was my door was always open. You know, the door is always open. It's an open door process, number one. Number two is this game, and when you really analyze it, this game is a microcosm of life, okay? And what's the most special thing? I want you guys both to think about what's the most special thing in your life. You got it because I see your eyebrows kind of going, hmm, okay, it might be this, might be that, okay? But no matter what you guys just picked, it's based on relationships. There's a relationship nature there. So you have to build a relationship with the players. It's okay to walk off after practice. And I learned this from Gary Pinkle, who's, a, who's another Hall of Fame coach, okay, that <clears throat> you get after a kid on the football field, well, your rear end better be in that locker room hugging them and letting them know that that ain't personal, man. That's, that's just football. And ask them how they're doing. Kids are away from college. I was blessed to be a college football coach for almost 40 years, okay? Put your arm around them. How you doing? How's your mom doing? Okay, what's going on with your life? It's called building a relationship so they're not just a piece of, you know, using the 1982 term, a piece of meat out there that you're yelling at and screaming at their kids. The next thing you do is with these kids nowadays, especially especially as the 90s and 2000s came around, how many of these kids maybe had a hug? How many have put an arm around them, okay? How many of them actually said, and here's a simple one for you, I was driving with my best friend from college, okay? We were the tantrum. He was the quarterback. I was the center, okay? I used to always tease my wife. He knows my rear end better than she does, okay? <laughs> from all those days of playing football, all right? And, and one of my players called me one time about something. We were talking, and I ended the call by saying, hey, I love you, Spoon. And he just turned and looked at me. He goes, you tell your players you love them? I said, yeah, they're like my kids. Then the vast final key was I had a phenomenal wife, Mary Beth, and the kids would come to our house, okay? The kids would come. They see how our family interacted with our daughter. Our daughter has high-functioning autism. She loved the players. She talked to the players about Harry Potter or dogs or this or that, and how they interacted with our family. They knew that not only was my office door open, but our family door was open, and there was multiple times I shouldn't say multiple, it's probably three times that pop in my head with my phone rings and it's, hey, Coach Stack, hey, what's up? How you doing, Jason? Hey, is Mary Beth there? And they go, what? And they want to talk to Mary Beth and get advice from her. So that's how you show you care about someone is build a relationship 
and the relationship is based on trust. Coach, go, when you talk about Gary Pinkle, and I know you're at Missouri State, I think in 2015, and I, I think at that time wasn't 2015 the year that uh, the football players at Missouri boycotted? I think it was. Yes, I think it was during that time, and. You know, you look at Gary Pinkle as a leader of that program and you talk about relationships, listen to your players. And I'm sure there's like, you know, pressure upon him to play games and the, the players want to boycott. And can you take me back to like as a coach and even Gary Pinkle relationship you had, like how do you go about listening to your athletes, um, making decisions that's best for everybody when there's maybe pressure to do something else that, would be maybe what your players don't want or um, would be different than that? Well, first of all, and I, I do want to make this extremely clear. Like you said, I just left. I was not there when that situation went down. Everybody hears stories about how this was handled or that was handled and everything else. Gary Pinkle, <clears throat> I think, handled the best way he could. He was in a no-win situation. This is my own personal opinion, okay, because – he does love his players and cares about his players. And he took his player's side, which was not probably the pretty thing to do. Okay. At the same time, there was an administration that was totally against it. So now you have heads butting each other. That's my, my outside looking in. I want that very clear. It's my outside looking in. Um, I think there's two different facets of that scenario and other scenarios as, as the years moved on, as you look forward, the last couple of years, Mizzou was way ahead of their time when you think about it, okay? Um, I think there's different ways to handle certain situations. you got to let your players know you care about them, and you have to support your players. At the same time, you have to educate them how to go about presenting your cause. I think they do have a great venue, and I think there is a lot of social injustice. It's my own personal opinion. But there's a lot of great things, too. And let's not take both of them and put them together. And I'm going to be bold and tell you this. Here's my example, okay? I'm a Marine, all right? I'm sorry, you stand for the national anthem. However, there's a big problem with social injustice, okay? So how would Steck ramify this and support his players? This was my idea. We're going to show America and we're going to stand for the national anthem. We're going to go take the football field. Everybody knows they're getting ready to kick off ball, right? And the referee's back there in the back, and he blows his whistle. And the whole team, take a knee. Take a delayed game. And hopefully the other team will say, hey, that's kind of cool. We decline. But if they don't decline, who cares? We just showed everybody, hey, you know what? We're doing this because everybody's watching the opening kickoff, and we're making a stand for social injustice. Because there is social injustice out there, in my humbled opinion, okay? My wife and I have an adopted son. He's black. I, I understand the big picture of what's going on out there, and I have listened to my players. Don't take two situations and blend them together. I think that's what kind of got away at Mizzou a little bit. They took two situations and it blended together. And what they were doing was right. How they went about it, I thought, was wrong. I know Jason's got, got something for you, but I want to say thank you for your service too, Coach, being in the Marines, because I read that and noticed that. Thank you for that, for the freedoms we have. It's people like you that have defended that, so thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, and, uh, and Jim, I love the idea of taking a delayed game, because like you mentioned, everybody's watching the kickoff. Like That's one way to get yeah. noticed. But, I mean, at the end of the day, Coach, it's five yards too, right? You know, it's not like it's, it's the beginning of the game. So it's not like it's a, it's a big detriment anyways. But uh, – you know, Jason, it, not to interrupt you, not to interrupt you. That's five yards, but that's not what it's about either. What you know what it is? Right. It's it's about five times blank lifetimes that yeah. we can make a difference. No, and, and you're 100 percent right. It's a it's a small sacrifice for a bigger message. Is is the point? Yeah. Um, and you know, let's get into your book, The Fisherman. Here, so you know, you talk about the ten traits vital to become an effective leader. Um, if you could pick your top three that you mentioned in your book, what are the three that you would uh, go into? I rank your top three, one, two, and three. Where would you start? My top three traits? Wow, that's a loaded question. Um, as I think about that, I wanted to narrow it down. Can I go back to Jim's opening? Uh, if you read the book, Jim, I met the fisherman, okay? The fisherman was my mentor. I ain't the fisherman, and you, your poor son, would have been, you know, 
I'll throw it out a paddle if I had to come help you get that fish. All right. Um, but I think focusing from a leadership standpoint, I think probably the, the most important thing is number one, judgment. You know, we've been talking and going over all this. I think judgment has got to be the number one thing. And the one thing that, and I don't want to take too much away from the book. I hope the viewers will out and read the book because it's only 88 pages. It was designed for football players because it's a quick read. It's almost like those old cliff notes that they all probably used to use in college. Um, but I think it's impactful. The big thing about judgment is that I brought in the book is, is not judging. Leaders don't judge. Judging is a verb. Okay. Judgment is a noun. So I think you need great judgment, wisdom and judgment. I mean, it talks in the old, I told my players all the time for years about the old history book, okay, the Bible. And there's so much wisdom in there. And it talks about judgment and wisdom. It doesn't talk about judging and criticizing. So I think judgment is a huge, huge factor, okay? I think the next one is, if I had to take one, is, uh, you know, definitely uh, attitude. You know, accountability and attitude. You got, you have to be accountable, not only to your players. Your players got to be accountable to you. Leadership is being accountable. Accountability shows caring. Okay, and then probably if I had to pick my third one, which everybody learns. You know, some people would say enthusiasm, which that does drive the train. You know, but it's got to be loyalty. I mean, to be a leader. You have got to be loyal. You have to be loyal to your players, the institution, to your family. You know, you can't lead someone if you're not loyal to them. If you don't care about them and loyal to them, I don't know if you can be a successful leader. So I probably would pick those three out of the 10 as the top. However, I think all 10 are pretty impactful. I want to I want to dive into a couple of these. The one loyalty, you look at yourself, and again, I'm not dating you back, but 82. You, you were 92, you were like 33 years as an assistant coach. Is that correct? Yeah, let's go with that. I don't know. I don't okay, count. It's but like almost 33 yeah, let's years go with that. as an assistant coach. <laughs> Not a head coach at that time. And, and you know how a lot of times people get into coaching their assistants, they want to be the head coach. They want to be the man, right? And trying to get this patience and, and going through that. So can you let individuals know, like that are assistant coaches that are out there that are in this journey of coaching, what does it take to be a great assistant coach? I know loyalty has to be one thing, especially loyalty to your, your head coach and that many years of being in it. But what are some of the attributes that make a great assistant coach? Well, you know, I'll tell you, which really sparked my my brain a long time ago. Um, you know, I, I grew up in Pennsylvania. And the guy who ran the Pennsylvania high school state situation was a guy named Gump May. Friends with my brother, just a great guy. Um, I was at Toledo at the time with Coach Pinkle, and I went and I was recruiting Pittsburgh, and I wanted to get back to the recruiting situation over there. And he said, Steph, I want you to come speak at the clinic. I'm like, all right, what do you want to talk about? D-line play, schemes? He goes, I want your topic to be so you want to be a college coach. I'm like, huh, what? <laughs> he goes, we got all these high school coaches at this high school clinic, and they want to move up, and they want to be dogs, and they want to – Go do their thing. Teach them how to do that. Well, it put me to task, Jim, because I wasn't that old at the time, even though you want to keep dating me. I was kind of young at the time. <laughs> and uh, I'm thinking, what am I going to tell these guys, you know? So it really put me to task to think. And what I came up with was really two things. Be loyal where you're at and work your rear end off, okay? And great things are going to happen. Because... All these guys want to shake and move and groove and move their way up. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But study football, study your sport. So when the opportunity comes, you know the answers to your sport. Because the truth, in, especially in college coaching, for the most part, who you know gets your jobs. What you know keeps your jobs. So be a student of your game. Work your rear end off. Which going back to the old history book, do you know the word work or labor is in that book 938 times? Well, if that word is going to be 938 times in the Bible, I think God upstairs is saying that's pretty important. 
So go to work and then be loyal as you're doing it. Don't be go looking for this job, that job, all those jobs. They're going to come based on your work ethic and your loyalty to that coach. That's what I would tell young coaches today. And what you mentioned there, it sounds like, you know, part of it is requiring patience and allowing it for like the right timing. You know, can you dive into that? Like being able to work, put your nose down, focus on what you're doing and allowing timing, allowing things to happen when they're supposed to, maybe not necessarily when you want them to. Yeah, that's a great question. And and if you, if you had my wife here right now, she'd be rolling her eyes at you because I don't have patience. Okay. I'm a let's get it done guy right now. Okay. So there is a factor of patience there. Um, I'm not good at that, but I know this. You know, there's an old uh, Yiddish proverb. Do you guys ever read uh, mystery novels? If you don't, I'm telling you guys, I probably should get a cutback, kickback on some of the money this guy's making. But there's an author called Harlan Colvin. Don't know if you ever read him. If you like mystery whodunit novels, he's unbelievable because you never know till the last page. His name's Harlan Colvin. You're reading, 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 and all of a sudden, Oh, man, Jason did it. It's like he's he's a really great author, but he uses a Yiddish proverb all the time that says, man plans, God laughs. It's, it's on his time frame. Let me give you an example of this. Everybody's going to know when I say the name. I don't care how old you are. If you don't know him, you young kids out there, if you are listening, um, Raymond Berry, one of the greatest all-time wide receivers in the National Football League. He was Johnny Unitas' go-to guy. But what a lot of people don't know is he was a ball coach, okay? His father was a ball coach in Texas. When he got done and retired, he became a ball coach, okay? Got in the NFL, was coaching in the NFL. And then they got fired like most coaches do. You know, there's two types of coaches, those who have been fired and those who are going to be fired. And <clears throat> he gets fired, and he's got to provide for his family. Well, he's selling shoes, but no one realizes he goes from selling shoes for two years to being the head coach of the New England Patriots. And in two years, in 1985, they got their rear ends whacked. But in 1985, they go to the Super Bowl and play the Chicago Bears. Now, I know all this stuff and his story and his background because my brother was his offensive coordinator in the Super Bowl. And my brother got his rear end whacked by the Chicago Bears, not being good to be the offensive coordinator against that defense. Okay? So – you do have to have patience and you say your prayers and you keep working, you keep networking, but don't lose sight of the job you have to do. And I think great things will happen, especially if you say your prayers. The loyalty part, I think for this, and maybe you can speak to it. You know, there's so many assistant coaches that, that sit there and think, well, I would do it this way. Or if I had the head coaching job, it would be better if we did it this way. And they always have their opinions and I get that. But sometimes there might be certain things the head coach is doing that they might not totally buy into or agree about. What's the best ways they can go about still being loyal um, when they maybe don't agree totally with what the coach, the head coach is doing? Well, that's a double-edged sword, but that's where your loyalty, you know, is shown. And we had a thing, the thing that I loved about Mizzou, okay? And the other thing I loved when I took with me to Missouri State was – when you go behind those closed doors, you have meetings. And, and there's, back in the day, there was the head coach and nine assistants and maybe a couple of GAs. Now there's like a flock of people in those rooms with all the analysts and GAs and everybody else, you know. The point is this, Tim, is what Gary Pinkle built there is you go into that room and you have an opinion. Everybody has an opinion. The thing about leadership is being fair, consistent, demanding, not just with the players, but also with the coaches. And then a decision's made. And I don't think you're ever going to be successful as a football program is when you walk out that door, if all the assistants and the head coach are not holding hands. Doesn't mean I have to agree with them, but I have to support him because that was a decision that was made. And I can, I can look anybody in the eyes in our coaching staff at Mizzou, and the reason why we were successful is because we didn't always agree with coach. We walked out that door. Our players did not know whose idea it was. They didn't know. You know, no matter what the situation or scenario was, we supported that decision. And then we know what happened there with that loyalty? The players support that decision. They might not have agreed, but they worked on that situation. Does that make sense? I, yeah, and I think I think what you mentioned, too, is I see – I tell a lot of assistants at the time, it's like, 
like you said, you, you might not agree, but you're on the same page. You're supporting this mission and what we're going after. And when you have conversations with players, you know, assistant coaches talk to players. It's not going like, yeah, I know, man, if I, if I was the guy, I'd do this or we should do this. But no, you don't do that. You're like, this is why we're doing it. This is this is what we're going to do. And you're that voice. You're all that one voice, the head coach, all the assistants. And I and I feel like sometimes some of these assistants have different voices and they're communicating the players and they get the players not maybe going on the same mission, the same path and get them disenchanted instead of being like, no, this is what we're doing. This is what we're going to go about and be in that one voice. I, I firmly agree with that, you know, and the one thing that a leader of an organization can look for, okay, I'm going to drop a little knowledge on you guys, okay. Uh, when people are communicating that uh, mission, like you just mentioned, Jim, and you're the assistant coach, and you're going out and you're doing this mission, is this is the way we're going to do it. This is what we decided. If they use the word but, your, your ears better go up. Because here's what I found out about the word but. And some people wanted to, after I teach this, some people want to change the word but to however. It's the same word, okay? That's, that's you know, tomato, tomato. If you go in there and say, this is what we decided to do as a staff, but I guess we got to do it this way. See, before the but, it may or may not be the truth. Okay? What's coming out of your mouth may or may not be the truth. After you say the word but, here comes the truth. For example, my wife's a great cook, but she is an awesome mother. Now, my wife may or may not be a great cook, but she's an awesome mother. Just for the record, my players love Mary Beth's cooking. She was a great cook. So that's what I mean. The but before may or may not be the truth. But as soon as I said but, she's a great, what? She's a great mother? There's the truth. Does that make sense? Totally. So, does. Have, so as a leader, you have to look out for that coach who's saying, hey, here's what we're going to do. However, oh, there ain't no however. This is what we're going to do. So I hope that makes sense. Yeah. That, uh, and you, you go back to one you mentioned is attitude. And, uh, you know, Ben McCallum, who's the head coach of Northwestern State football, or ba basketball program, he's he's had tremendous success. He's like one, you know, three out of the last four national championships. But the biggest thing he talks about is when you mentioned attitude, when he recruits, he asks, like, people around the recruit, is this person moody? What's their attitude like? And if they're moody people, he won't recruit them. And if they're in practices and they're being moody, he'll kick them out. Like he's like, we have to have positive attitude in what we do. When you mention about attitude, is it about reinforcing positive attitude? And then you talk about the accountability. What do you do to make people accountable to make sure they have an attitude that's going to be moving everybody in the direction you want to go into? Well, that's culture. Now you get into culture, which I understand and respect. The thing I try to very heavily expressed to our players is the greatest thing about attitude you're in charge of it i don't give you your attitude you give yourself that attitude and how you respond to certain things and the one thing we used to always preach at mizzou was you know we called it the you know with uh, snap to whistle, whistle to snap you know when the whistle blows and before you snap the ball what's your brain thinking about okay so many things go into your brain as you're thinking. Like right now, you guys are listening. Hopefully, your viewers are listening. And they're thinking about something. Are they listening to me or are they thinking about something? My point to that is you think your thoughts. I don't make you think anything. So you think your thoughts. So your thoughts control your attitude. And it's really simple. Real simple. I learned from John Gordon, who did the forward of my book. I'm so blessed that he did. Okay. It's really simple. You got to get up in the morning. How many people get up in the morning? And I'm, I'm going to give you an answer. It's 99% of America. Gets up in the morning and says, man, I got to go to work. You don't got to go to work. You get to go to work. Okay? You get to go to work. And here's the other thing, too. I used to teach my players all the time. How many people do you see and say, hey, how you doing? They go, oh, thank God it's Friday. Huh? Thank God it's Friday. 
But you, you know how many people, and I, I mean this, uh, I don't know the right word, not, not, doesn't matter. How many people die Monday morning when they wake up and all of a sudden they come back to life at five o'clock on Friday? <laughs> because they got to go to work. No, that's an attitude. That's the way they think, you know? Hey, have a great weekend. Oh, yeah, thank God it's Friday. How about thank God it's Wednesday, man? It's 1030, 930 your guys' time. I'm having a blast talking to you guys, you know? It's, it's in your mind, and, and, and you can't really do anything except to teach people those concepts of you get to, you know what, you get to live, you get to breathe, you get to go to do these things. This is a, you got a great life, man. Let's go work at it. But that's a culture change, Jim. Yeah, and that's where you talk about, too, like perspective, like point of view, shifting point of views, like you're talking about. It's like we get to go do this. Think about how many people that are working today that are working for like, you know, an hour or like a dollar an hour making like, you know, $20 throughout a week or whatever it is. And you're going and having a job that has benefits or making good money or whatever, going to a house where you have like air conditioning, have running water, clean water. I think it goes back to coach, like when we shift our perspectives, realize how good we have it, then that really shifts the attitude of how we think toward things. Absolutely. And how many, I'm going to, I'm going to date myself again. You know, when your parents said, Hey, I, we're out of milk, go down to the store. Well, okay. The store was a, a quarter of a mile away. You had to walk down get the milk, come back. Now, Hey, I'm out of milk. Hop in the car a quarter of a mile and drive in and get it. I mean, it's just too many things are at our disposal that makes life easy. And too many things at, at kids days nowadays is, and I use this analogy all the day, all the time, microwaves. Okay, I love microwaves, so don't misinterpret us. But guess what? Life, life is an oven. You put it on 350, you put it in the oven, and you let it bake and cook to get a great quality life out of it. For example, you're not going to microwave your turkey dinner for Thanksgiving. Okay, you're going to put it in an oven, and you're going to bake it, and it's going to be slow. And man, four or five hours later, it's going to be juicy and tasty. Or you can throw it in the microwave, and it's going to be dry and stale, but you get to eat goes back to James, uh, Jason with patience. Well, coach, man, appreciate you, uh, you hey, joining Jason, us today. Jason, yeah. Do you want to get something else? Yeah. I do want to ask coach a couple questions on this. One is coach. Let me ask you this. So you go be a head coach at Missouri state and you're there for, you know, I think it's like, you know, four, was it four or five years at Missouri state? Five years, five years at Missouri state. So now you're out and, and you're broadcasting and, and you're seeing a lot of football and things like that. When you go, say, you get your ne next head coaching job and say that takes place, what did you learn from your five years, at, your years at Missouri State, that when you go in and take that new job, you're like, these are things I'm going to take with me. I learned that I'm maybe going to implement or maybe do a little bit differently. Well, the first thing is I'm going to do more research, okay? Second thing is I'm going to make sure there's 100% support from administration. Um and then once the culture established and all the things that we've talked about, I would I would have to personally look at myself then and do a better job of letting my hair down and letting the kids be the kids. As long as the same discipline and structure is still in place, if that makes sense. But it, it, nothing happens without the start from the top. So I'd, I'd make sure um, the administration part of it was in place and the support from them and then be able to have the culture put into place quicker. And then once the culture's in place, have the seniors take over, let your hair down and let the machine run like we did in Mizzou. How do you go, when you hear, you hear culture all the time, people talk about culture, 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 um, successful programs have great culture. What are the best ways to implement culture? I mean, you talk about you'd implement it quicker. How do you go about doing that? Uh, I would have more probably one-on-one -on -one meetings with the seniors because they know the locker room. Um, then after I grasp the seniors now, because they've been there a long time, I would incorporate the younger players, part of it, like a council, to get more input from those people, and then explain to them the why we're doing these things. And then I'm gonna go way back to what we talked about a while ago, James. Through all of this, you gotta be fair, consistent, and demanding. Yeah, and uh, the last thing I do wanna 
ask before Jason gets in this lightning round is these young coaches that are out there are just people want to be in leadership positions. What would you suggest besides reading the Fishman book by reading that book? What are other things you would suggest they should do to develop leadership skills to be great leaders, lead people in a successful direction? Well, I'm glad you threw that in, Jim, because I would definitely highly recommend to read The Fisherman. Um, get another little plug in there. However, I, I think what you do, and Lou Holtz taught me this as a young coach, the thing that changes your lives and makes you move forward is the people you meet and the books you read, okay? And if you ever go look at some really great people and hear people speak, they're taking notes, you know? I had to speak at a function one time, and there was two way better leaders than myself in the audience and they're taking notes okay you can always learn from somebody so go meet people go ask questions as a young coach um, and read and what i mean by read is i highly recommend reading the bible and the old history book because that's going to give you wisdom you know isn't it a coincidence that there's 31 days in a month and there's 31 chapters in proverbs hmm go figure that one so anyway um i would start with that read proverbs but read people's books and see what they're saying on leadership. Go ask questions, go visit coaches and expand your knowledge and that'll increase your work ethic. And then hopefully down the road, you'll have more opportunities. You know, Jim, in 2017, I went to the Missouri State at Mizzou football game and everybody said Missouri State didn't have a chance. Like they was like, there's no way. And I took a picture of the school after every quarter and every quarter that team stayed with Mizzou for almost three and a half, four quarters. And so I was a proud alumni on that Labor Day weekend in 2017. So coach, I was excited to be there for you, repping my Missouri State gear on that day. So uh, just to throw that out there. I was really impressed with how they played that day. Uh, that was like two years into the into you being the head coach. So um, it was a really fun day to be a Missouri State Bear at that Mizzou Stadium there. So finally, like the lightning round. So we have four questions, coach, that we rapid fire um to finish all of our guest list and the first one is this what is the best life lesson that sports has taught you to be a good teammate to be a good teammate you can't you can't uh succeed in life without other people and what i mean by be a good teammate is you got to be a good teammate with your wife with your family with with your employees or, or or your employer you have to be a good teammate because if you're a good teammate, that shows you care and you can be successful, not only in the athletic arena, but also in the uh, family arena and also in the business arena. Okay. Uh, number two, if you could spend any, uh, spend time with anyone you admire in sports, passed away, alive, who would it be and why would you pick them? Just one person? Just one. Whoa, come on, man. And it has to be sports, huh? You know, I probably would be enthralled with um, Vince Lombardi. And the reason why is because the things you read, you know, I, let me go back real quick about the books you read and stuff. You know, all those books you read about Vince Lombardi and all the stuff you see about Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi was back in the day when you were a tyrant and do it my way and da, da, da. But the thing that was unbelievable about Vince Lombardi was when the curtain was closed, he was a really good human being. And he really cared about his players off the field, cared about his family, loved his friends. But when the curtain was open, he was a very demanding person. I want, I would love to know how he mixed those both attributes and to become very, very successful. Hey, Coach Dave, I love the story. I remember what John Madden talks about. He went to that coaching clinic and he said he went the whole day. And it was like they were working on the Packer sweep to the right. And they were like, he says, see you tomorrow. I'm like, well, we're going to work on tomorrow. You know, we're going to work on Packer sweep to the left. <laughs> like the attention, the detail, getting That's after true. like you said. That's true. What's uh, what's the best advice you ever received from a coach that you've worked for or been around or played for? Uh, That's so much. I mean, the thing that just sticks in my mind is that experience with Bobby Knight is a note saying, be fair, consistent, and demanding, you know. Um, the, the thing is, if you're growing, you learn from every coach, you know, like Lou Holtz, I learned motivation from, you know, Gary Pinkle, <clears throat> I learned loyalty and attention to detail, the way he ran his football program. 
You know, I work for a guy, Ed Sweeney at Dickinson, who, who taught about, you know, which is in a book about bearing, you know, you got to act like you, you got to act like you've been there before if you want to get there. You know, there's so many things you take from coaches and learn from coaches. And if you're not learning, you're going backwards, you know. The old Bo Schembecker, who I never got to coach for or with, but I met a couple times. He used to always say, you're getting better or you'll get worse. Nothing stays the same. Mm-hmm. So all those little things you, you learn from everybody. If you had one character trait or life skill and from a recruit that you're recruiting and they can only have one that you'd want, what would it be? Wow. That, come on, guys. Can't you throw some <laughs> softballs here, man? I play softball, not baseball. <laughs> it's been a long time since I played baseball. That was a fastball down the middle. You know, to sound corny is, you know, once you get to know the kid and recruit the kid deep down, I'd want the kid to have love. Hmm. I want him to love the game. I want him to love his family. And then when he becomes a teammate, he loves his teammates. So that's that's the you know sixty something year old guy. I'm not gonna give him my Zach age because I'm an old guy. That's my sixty year old answer. When I was younger, it might be a different answer, but I'd want love. I would really want that kid to love football, love life, love his family, and love the people around him. You know, you talk about that, Coach Dave. You you seen the IU football of Tom Allen when like last year they did a big story about it of kind of developing the culture in his program, but it's about loving each other. It's about love. Um, and they have some type of saying or something he does, but it's about like just love, love everyone, love each other. It kind of made me think about what you're talking about when you mentioned about this love aspect of it. You know what? Life would be really good. This world, this America, everything would be better if number one, a football coach ran it and everybody loved each other. <laughs> hey, by the way, too, Hey, Jason, you might mention the coach, man. You got Jeffrey over here. You know, Jeffrey, uh, you see that, uh, Jason, on the side, the LinkedIn? What's that? Uh-uh. You see the messages? I see a few of them. I've been, I've been, I've been yeah, listening, guy, Jim. They got here that love this guy. Dave, you just moved up the list of awesome people. How about there that? There we go. Coach Dave. Yeah. yeah, that's good. You know what? There's a lot of Daves in the world. Just call me Steck. Coach Steck. Coach yeah, Steck. Saying coach Steck moved up. They're, they're All right. Coach Steck. There we go. Bring it. Well, Dave, uh, you know, first of all, uh, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. Um, how can people find your book, The Fisherman? How can they learn more about you, what you're doing? Um, where can we find you, Coach? Yeah, I am kind of lost. So, you know, The Fisherman, um, you know, God's blessed me with a great career so far. We don't know where Coach is going to take me. I'm really enjoying the radio gig with Coastal Carolina. Um, but the fishermen, you can go to crosstraining.com or you can go to Amazon. And uh, I, I really think it's a beneficial read because this is my opinion. Obviously, I wrote the book. It's, it's a very short book. The foreword by John Gordon, who was a famous author himself with the Energy Bus and Training Camp. And, and he wrote many, many books. And he's a national speaker. It was so humbling that he would do the forward for me. But I think if you go to Amazon, you go to crosstraining.com. You can purchase it at a re- very reasonable price. And I think everybody can learn something from it. Well, Coach if Dave. Buy, if you buy a million copies, you can actually get a day with Coach Stack um, and uh, <laughs> eat lunch with them, right? If, if somebody buys a million copies, would that work? I'll buy them. I'll buy them. Not lunch. I'll buy them dinner. <laughs> you, you, know the, you know the crazy thing about it, Jimmy, as I found out, is it's just like anything. The authors, I only make like a – Buck a book. Yeah. It's amazing how everybody gets a cut of it. I'm like, mm. I'm getting what? You're yeah. selling that book for, for 15, 13, 10 bucks, and I'm getting a dollar? So I need a million <laughs> copies sold. You, you think about Coach, Coach Deck, like Jason's written a book, like talk about the time and effort it takes to not only just organize your ideas, but get them down, spend the time writing and put it together. There's a lot of time that goes into it. Like you said, somebody could write a book, like, okay, purchase a book for, say, $20 or whatever. And Coach Stack spent maybe a year or two years writing it and spent like a lifetime of learning these life lessons that they're giving to you almost for like 20 bucks, which is like almost like, you know, a penny an hour or whatever it would be. The time that somebody puts into it um, is priceless. Yeah, it, was, it was just a fun accomplishment to make. And um, I literally, our books, anywhere from 10 bucks to 15 bucks. 
and I get like a buck a book. So I didn't do it for the money. I did it. And you know, it's not just a sports book. I truly believe that business leaders and parents can learn something from this book to how to raise children, how to raise a company, how to help a sports event. So I try to touch all aspects. And these are the traits I, I preach and talk to our players and teams and, you know, hopefully it'll make a difference. Yeah. Well, Dave, man, we, uh, coach Steck, appreciate you having you on and I'm uh, going to order my copy shortly after this episode. So, uh, coach Steck, we'll talk to you soon. And, uh, uh, thank you again for joining us today. Thank you. Very humble to be on here. And I really appreciate your time, man. God bless. Yeah, Steck, thank you. Hey. Appreciate you. Well, Jim, you know, uh, positive leadership is so key these days and, it's funny, there's a stat that 70% of employees are dissatisfied with their job because of one of the reasons was negative management. And so the point is, maybe they need to read more of that leadership book, The Fisherman by by Coach Tech, and well, maybe get some of our 40 athletes think, Like if you think about what Coach Tech talked about, it's changing your perspective. Mm -hmm. like I tell my kids all the time, you, you don't got to go do this. You don't have, you get to go do it. Yeah. You get to go to this practice. You get to go learn. You get to. And what Coach Stuck talked about, when you change it to I get to, change the way you think and the way you act and more things are going to be accomplished in your life through that. And you're going to have more positive energy, not only for yourself, but for others you're around. Well, and Jim, you know, we actually have a week on leadership in our 40 Athletes program, too. So, you know, uh, for, for all of you out there, go to 40athletes.com. Book a discovery call right now to see how you can instill some of those traits that not only uh, Coach Tech did, but we as well. So you can have better leaderships in your organization. So Jim, uh, man, again, so excited to have coach Steck on because of what I just learned, not just cause he's a Missouri state bear from it, but on, you've been, you've been excited about this for a while. Come on. I mean, not gonna can lie. You, can you, before we go out, can you sing me a little bit of the bear fight song? Something. Give me something. Seriously. M I S S O U R I state. There you Bears. go. Hey, I actually wrote a, uh, I know a jingle, a jingle. Yeah. Yeah, you have to save that for later. I will. Yeah. Shh. All right, Jimmy. Have a good one. Appreciate it, man. Be good.